You are listening to Discover, a podcast from the DIS Team Ministry. Hello and welcome to our third podcast in our Lenten series on prayer. This time we are talking about prayer in association with art following the sermon on Sunday, where I spoke about art and prayer. Before I go any further, I was going to say a little bit more about the picture that I was speaking about on Sunday. It had quite an interesting history, which I thought I would mention. The painter Piero della Francesca, he was obviously famous when he was alive, but he became very quickly seen as outdated and he was virtually forgotten as a painter for centuries. He was remembered as a mathematician because the way he constructed his paintings was very mathematical and he wrote books on the subject as well. So in actual fact his paintings were disregarded for centuries including the the resurrection in San Sepulchro, which was actually whitewashed at one point. It's hard to believe they actually painted over the picture. And amazingly, it was when the whitewash started peeling off that people remembered it again. But not just that, in the Second World War, there was a lot of fighting in Italy. There was a big battle at a place called Monte Cassino where Benedict's original monastery, huge place, was destroyed along with a lot of art that was there. And there was a British soldier involved with that who then was told to go to San Sepulchro because they believed the Germans were in the town and was given the order to shell San Sepulchro. And he remembered that he'd read somewhere about this painting in San Sepulchro, which was described as the greatest painting in the world. And he ordered the shame to stop and quite possibly saved the town and the painting from destruction. And after that, of course, he was a hero. But the interesting thing is that the Germans were not in the town any longer. They'd actually moved on. So it would have been a totally pointless destruction. It's just interesting, these things connected with this particular painting, which I think make it even more significant, even more interesting. And I've just wanted to ask Sue and Jenny whether they have come across paintings that they feel speak to them in a special way or whether they've experienced the power of art in a spiritual sense. I would like to mention El Greco. Ah. I went to an exhibition with a friend and I'd had, within the previous couple of years, I'd had an experience a sort of spiritual experience involving the Garden of Gethsemane and El Greco, one of the exhibition paintings was the Garden of Gethsemane and there is, was something about the painting and he said 
that I was transfixed for about 20 minutes. I don't remember that. I just knew I was looking at this painting. It was just so overwhelmingly powerful. Since then, I've found that, you know, I, I if I see any El Greco in books or, you know, online or whatever, I just, I find them really spiritually inspiring, let's put it that way. Ah. How about you, Jenny? I came from a slightly different viewpoint, I think. I love art for art's sake, appreciate it. But until recently, I've not found it uh, a source of inspiration to pray in the same way that creation is an inspiration. Because you, with creation, be it something wonderful or something that's actually at the moment quite horrible to contemplate, you can have a direct prayerful response, either glory, worship, praise, or even if it's uh, a scene from the Yemen at the moment that invokes a supplication, intercession sort of prayer, where a painting in really draws me into meditation, which I'm not quite sure whether you'd call that prayer. It might have prayer at the end of it, but the meditating, who said a picture's worth a thousand words, and through really looking and often having bits explained, I must admit, I've found going to art galleries so much more helpful since you've been able to have earphones and actually mm. have the content of a painting explained, then eventually it, you, you come to prayer at the end, if you like, of the, the proceeding. But actually the picture or the sculpture or whatever it is draws me into, and I can spend hours meditating and I've found it really helpful to have other people's insights. I was, a couple of years ago, we had that Lent series where Tony talked about paintings. And since then, I've found other examples of some of the paintings that he introduced and looked for the different angles that each painter has brought to that subject. And I just find it gets more and more illuminating as you do that. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, Janice, but. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, I also think it's interesting to look at, as I mentioned in my sermon, to look at paintings that perhaps you don't like that much and to see what they say to you. That's what I was going to ask. One of my questions I came up with. Do we need to be moved by a painting or like it mm. to find ways of praying with it? And how do we do that if we really don't like it? Yes. I mean, one thing that I would say, the artist Caravaggio. Oh, yeah. His work is invariably quite dramatic. Um, it's not... Um, beautiful in the same way that other art is. It can be quite violent, 
because he used ordinary people. He didn't use beautiful people. He used people off the streets. And it is challenging in a way that other paintings perhaps are. I mean, it's totally different from Piero, where it's beautiful, it's still, it's lovely. Caravaggio can be violent. It's people are grubby, they're dirty, mm. they're they're old, they're poor. And I think that encourages you to speak and, and think in different ways about perhaps the ugliness of the world, about poverty, and meditate on the differences in that way. So he was using real people. Oh, yeah, absolutely real people, yes. Maybe that brings us to the reality of life, and I can see that that would certainly help me in prayer. You could probably identify the different conditions that people have you know not not medical but you know the the poverty and the um, you know uncleanliness and the and the down and outness of of if that's a word of it yeah I can see that yeah thank you no no not at all I think that's really really important because we have this image as perhaps children of the life of Jesus as portrayed in a ladybird book blue skies Mm. grass everything pretty and then I think the shock to me was seeing the Robert Powell Jesus of Nazareth series of pictures and the nativity was not in a nice place it wasn't in a cozy wooden clean straw it was as portrayed there and you realize that Jesus took on the lowest possible denominator when he came to be in the world and I thought it was so significant and it's made me look at other kinds of art in a completely different way. It brings it home that Jesus is for all time, for all conditions, for all all people in a way that the childhood pictures can't do. I find that really interesting, Jenny, and I'd never really thought of it like that. But you're you're right, we do get the images we get as children and young people are the sort of perfect, nice, everything's nice. And I think it's important that we realise that it wasn't nice for Jesus, nice as we think of it. It was real life as it was then, but it was hard. So it's often the more repulsive to me, uh, representations that actually provoke most thought. Mm, yes. Have you been to the cathedral in the last 12 months and on the slope going down to the hostry entrance, which is the only one they've been using since the pandemic, on the end there's a sculpture of Mary and Jesus and it's black and it looks as if it's made, and I mean, it's black in material sense. Uh, it's made out of what looks like junk metal. It, uh-huh. Mary's ugly and the baby's too big and it's got boots on. And uh-huh. you know, it, it really is so repulsive. But every time, and I've been four times, that's all, I have to go and look at it and think, what am I missing? What? 
what it, I don't even know who produced it, so mm. I can't look it up to find out more. But I would love to because there must be an intention there that I've completely missed. So any illumination on that, I'd be really, really pleased to hear. Yes, I must admit, I haven't seen that. No, I mean, I'm wondering whether, part of me wonders whether we've got out of the habit of looking at images, being able to meditate and pray on them, because we don't have that many in our churches anymore. When no, you think right. two centuries ago, churches were full of images. Um, yeah. There was a real emphasis on people meditating on the cross, on a crucifix, on Mary, etc., um, in church. And of course, with the Reformation, as like so much else, you know, we threw the baby out with the bathwater to a great extent. They got rid of so many images that we're not used to seeing the images now. And I mean, for instance, in St. Mary's, the only images there are Victorian ones, which are very sanitised. Yeah. You know, the stained glass is very sanitised. So, But it's very beautiful. Uh, it depends on your opinion. I don't like it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I don't like Victorian much. Well, I often sit in, in if I'm in a service and, and and I am listening maybe to a sermon or or the, whatever. But I often look at the stained glass and think about it, and especially the east window. When we say the creed, especially the, when we did have even song, mm. because that was in the, the chancel, I find you can see the whole creed in that window, or most of it. Yes. It is amazing. Doesn't that show how different we all are? Absolutely. Fascinating. I mean, I love the sun coming through the window and perhaps reflecting the colours on the walls, that sort of thing. But the actual windows themselves leave me cold. I mean, Christ is blonde for a start, and I just don't well, like that true. he was blonde, you know? That's true. But that's just shows, doesn't it, that we're different? And, and oh, maybe absolutely. I hadn't... Yes. Maybe I hadn't noticed that he's blonde. I just it's it's what it what it's what it stands for that grabs me, you know. Yes. On the cross and it's the symbolism. That's it. Yes, yes the symbolism. That, that's important yes. to you. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at the the windows down the sides of the church, I don't look at them as art so much as looking at them as a way of sharing the stories of the Bible particularly with people yeah. who perhaps can't read, because uh, it's yes. that thing again about the picture being more useful than words, because if you can't read the words, it doesn't matter. You can see the pictures of the either the parables or incidents from the New Testament, the Old Testament. Uh, and so I look on those as kind of teaching images. Yes. They don't invoke prayer in the same sort of way that mm. in thinking about prayer, um, I get more the incentive to pray when the light comes through and I see the beauty of the colours on, on yes. the wall opposite because that's uh, more a, an adoration, a praise kind of um, yeah. response rather than 
the actual scene that's been recreated. But I totally take the point that a lot of pictorial representations are not only sanitized, but they are seen through a very, very European lens. Oh, absolutely. Because I'm yes. sure Jesus was, had dark hair and swarthy skin and all that, where yeah. most of the representation you see in pictures, he's blonde and beautiful and quite often clean shaven. And I'm sure that's all absolutely incorrect. Mm. So that's a hindrance, if you like. People portrayed what they knew. And I suppose when they were made, there weren't that many dark, swarthy people about. So they portrayed everybody as, as pale skinned and because that's what they knew. And I, maybe it made, maybe at the time it made it more relevant because they could feel that Jesus was one of them, as he is one of us, you know, in, in the sense of being human. So in a sense, we need a whole series of pictures for every uh, every culture, every race. I love seeing yeah. African representations of the Bible oh, stories yes. because there you yes. do get absolutely the opposite um, because they interpret according to their traditions. We did a yeah. huge exhibition a few years ago of the nativity as portrayed in all kinds of materials, all kinds of size. And one of the big exhibits was postage stamps from around the world that showed the nativity. And it was fascinating, the Ugandan interpretation as opposed to a Norwegian yeah. one. And the same story was there in every single one, but to see it made real for a different group of people was really inspiring. So, Jenny, I remember that exhibition and I found it fascinating. The, the one I really enjoyed was the bottles and jars, especially because the oxen was actually an oxo tin. And, and I just, it, it was fascinating. And, and how that, that brought out all the different aspects of, of the characters. Just absolutely fascinating, that exhibition. I remember it well. So would you say that was art being used? Because, I mean, I'm no artist at all, but it was... I would. I mean... An interpretation. Yes, I would, definitely. What do you think, Janice? Yes, I mean, it's it's difficult, this um, interpretation of what is and isn't art. Ah. Um, mm. I mean, in, in some ways, a rule of thumb... I would say is would you want something on your wall because ah. if something is okay to go on your living room wall is that great art whereas if if you don't feel you can have something on your wall it just wouldn't be right or it would just be too overpowering that that is is art in a way I would say that if I like it or not, I would have have it in my room. Yeah, I mean that's liking it. I would if I wouldn't have it in my room. It's just because I would, don't like it. I think art can be anything. I think art can be children's hand pictures. I think that is art of not the capital A art. Yes. Oh, yes. I meant that you know the capital A art is the sort of stuff that you 
wouldn't really necessarily want it on your wall because the, the power of it and the fact that it has such a power over you and grabs you would not be comfortable to live with, perhaps, which is why we have art galleries uh, and churches yes. and places for this art, which would be more uncomfortable to live with, perhaps. Well, the art galleries, the, the benefit is they have space. And I don't know about you, but if I go to any sort of art exhibition of any kind, you know, or art gallery, you see so many people standing right against the rail, looking closely, and maybe they're looking at the brushwork, mm. but I stand back, as far back as I can, and still see it over people's heads, because that gives you the power of the picture, and that is when I think you get the, the prayer, the inspiration for prayer, because you see the whole picture. I mean, everybody's different. Maybe some yes. people like to look at the detail, but I like to see the whole thing and actually get the sort of big, the, the overall sense of it. Um, that was something else I was going to ask Janet and Jenny. Do you think you have to understand what the artist wanted you to understand? In order to find a picture inspiring for prayer? No. Do you think we can take out of it what we want, what we, what God wants us to take out of it? Yes, I think we have our own interpretation of what it is about, which might be totally yes. different from what the artist intended. Certainly if it comes to a, a non-religious picture, because if we're looking at non-religious picture in a religious way or in a prayerful way, then that's quite possibly not what the artist intended but it's our response to that picture and yeah you know you can get a number of non-religious pictures that really provoke a religious response mm. um, for all sorts of reasons the book that I think is mentioned on the website yeah uh, the art of worship which I just happen to have here, this is actually written by Nicholas Holton, who Bishop of Salisbury. But this okay. book was written when he was at St Martin in the Fields, right opposite the National Gallery. So uh -huh. this book is published by the National Gallery, and there's there's a section of religious art, but also a section of non-religious art. And um, one of the wonderful ones, The Beauty of Holiness, it's called. It's a cup of water and a rose. Oh, wow. From 1630. It's wow. just absolutely beautiful in its simplicity. It's, and that can evoke a religious response. But whether the artist intended that, of course, is totally another matter. Sorry, I'm a bit long-winded there. No, that was a really, really good answer and a good interpretation because yes. I've been wondering the same sort of thing, really. Yeah, I, I don't quite know how to put it into words, but certainly a picture of a secular subject can very often be the trigger that leads you into a really deep, meditation if you like that leads mm. to prayer in the end mm. Mm. and I, that, that's the thing I find really interesting um, the picture doesn't immediately invoke a prayer 
you've got to go through, or I have to go through the trying to understand, trying to interpret or be helped to interpret what the artist might have intended. And then the prayer comes at the end of the process. I think that's what I said right at the beginning. I think I agree with you on that. I was just thinking if I would, if I saw a picture of water and, you know, a cup of water and a rose, I think it would invoke in me thoughts about how that reflects on the spiritual life, on things in me that need to be dealt with, or and and maybe I'd look at the beauty. And we're going back to the, my creation thing of last mm. week. Maybe I'd look at the beauty of the rose and and the stillness of the water and the. I mean, water is fascinating, but so maybe maybe we all interpret art. We all use it for prayer in our own individual way. Oh yes, absolutely. Because I say we've all we've mentioned we're all different. We we appreciate different pictures in different ways. Um, yes. We approach them in different ways. Um, and we see different things in them. You know, this is the thing with a painting. One person will see one thing. Another person will, might notice something totally different. This is, this is the, the wonder of it all. How do people who like um, abstract art, can they find prayer in that too? Mm. And in what way do they do that? Whether it's the abstract, abstract nature of that art itself that evokes a prayerful response because I mentioned this in my sermon that there was a member of the clergy that we knew who had a Mondrian picture yes on her wall and she found this really helpful for prayer could you explain what Mondrian that his what his his or her paintings were like his are sort of big like squares of color oh so it's just okay just a block of color on right. another color perhaps it's mm-hmm. yeah it's not a picture in the way that we would normally think of a a picture it's blocks of color more than anything else right. so yeah it's it's totally abstract i mean John is more into that sort of thing than I am because I, I do like to be able to see a picture, you know, of, yeah. of something. Yeah. Um, I'm not brilliant yeah. with abstract, I've got to say it. But, um, yeah, for some people that is useful in prayer as well. So, again, a very different approach for those of us who like to have a picture that you can look at and perhaps a portrait or a still life or all yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. I have a friend, well, I, I trained with her as, as a lay reader, as we were then, we're now licensed lay ministers, and she is an artist. She showed me a book once where she had put together some prayer paintings where she oh. had prayerfully painted. And, and actually, she's, I've got one on my wall, and this is just beautiful. And that is lots of different colours. I mean, it's not blocks, but it's streaks and ah, patches and, yes. and, and all sorts of things. And actually, yes, it does. 
invoke prayer because maybe because it was made prayerfully. I'd love to be able to do that. Really love to be able to pray to paint at all, but to paint prayerfully in a way that could make someone else move into prayer. That would be incredible. It is beautiful. Does it link in, Sue, with your sermon a week ago where you talked about a cloud? Because a cloud is an abstract painting, if you like. You take a photograph of it, which you had Mm. put on the website. Um, And that was a beautiful invocation to pray. That's, that's, That's very true. Yes, I suppose... Yes. I mean, there is a sense of movement in it. I'm, I'm looking at it now. There is a sense of movement in it, although obviously it's a stationary picture, but it? And, and like clouds, the picture, the, the colours, because there are colours in clouds, the colours sort of blend into each other. So that gives a sense of movement. So yes, then maybe it does link. That's a very good thought, Jenny. Maybe it does link with my love of the, the abstract of clouds. Yes. God's painting. Yes, I like that. Just going back to paintings in the sense of paintings with figures that one would recognise, I've got a book which my father gave to me. It's a first edition of the Gospels in Art from 1903. It's a fascinating book and I haven't really given it due worth, but I've had it out, obviously, thinking about today. And there's some really interesting articles in there written by very eminent people of the day. And, of course, the language is the language of 1903. But one of the uh, contributors, he was the Bishop of Derry and Raffo, said that the religious art of painters gave validity to the gospel story. And I thought the way he explained it was this. He said, each great painting means that a highly trained student's been able to gaze with his mind's eye upon one incident in the sacred story and has found it a coherent thing and an admirable thing. And it's almost giving validity to the gospel story that this multitude of individuals in all their interpretations haven't detracted from the essential truth of the story. And I thought that was a really profound expression. And that in itself made me more aware of the importance of art as we meditate and lead in to praying i'll lend you Mm. the book if you'd like to see it janice it's really right yes thank you and we can have things in st mary's again i'll bring it and you can use it because things that are sitting on shelves not serving any useful purpose things that are looked at and either argued with or appreciated Mm. then do have a a value which is the same with art i love it somebody else hates it we have a conversation, we both learn and perhaps increase our understanding. Yes, very definitely. I was going to bring up 
the subject of icons. Do oh, either yes. of you pray with icons? I never have. My friend Penny, the artist, she is actually a nun now. So she actually has learned to pray with a particular icon. I can't remember what, which one it, what it is. And I, I don't know about icons. They, mm. well, do, I, any, do either of you understand them? I've got some icons. Um, in fact, I've got two right in front of me, one on my right. desk and one on the wall. And I mean, what you were saying about prayfully painting a picture, of course, that is the point of icons because they're painted prayerfully. You don't just paint right. an icon. It's it's a ah. sort of um, a picture in prayer, if you like. Right. I think... Yeah, people either like them or they don't. I mean, I like them. And mm. you certainly can respond prayerfully to them, I think, because you have this beautiful image in front of you. I mean, again, it's a very beautiful image. It's a very artificial, if you like, image. Mm. But at the same time, it can provoke a prayerful spiritual response. Hmm. For Orthodox people, obviously, you know, these are what they're used to and they've used them for millennia, basically. Yes. What about you, Jenny? I find icons quite difficult. We have got, I've got some here, we've got some in church. I think it's because they're stylized. If I'm right, icons are painted according to rules aren't they? yes yeah they are right angles and all those sort of things which to me okay. detracts from the artist's freedom of expression but it's one of the areas that i really do appreciate having explained because if it's explained how this one was constructed and why the eyes of the obviously always looking out but it's the composition around it i need it explaining i can't work it out for myself so right i don't naturally go and buy another icon because mm. i don't know enough about it i need it yes. first. so again can we pray with icons without understanding them it comes back to that do we need to understand a painting or an icon to actually pray using it as a focus? I suspect you could use an icon without understanding it. I mean, I've got an icon on my wall, which I'm looking right at at the moment, an icon of Christ, where his face is divided into two halves. One half is the loving Christ, and he's making the sign of the blessing. The other side, it seems, is the angry Christ, and he's that side he's holding a book. And the eyes are slightly different, and the colour of the face is slightly different between the two sides. So, I mean, I, I know this is 
the significance of this icon because I've been told it. But I mean, even if I didn't know that, I suspect I could still use this as a, an aid to prayer. But when you know that, it makes it more interesting, I suppose. But like anything else, I suppose it's interesting to know about these things and then possibly it can, it, it can add to the experience and your response. Really interesting. Is it perhaps part of the understanding it to understand that it isn't true that anything goes? You know, there's the happy, clappy, don't matter what you do, as long as you say your prayers and confess at the end, you'll go. Mm. And actually, this mm. is a great warning that Jesus is the embodiment of God's love, but at the end of time, there will be judgment. And it won't just be anything goes. It will be looking at deepest motives. And that can be a very painful experience. So I don't know the icon, so I can't really say more than that. Yes, I think one side, as I say, it's the, the judgmental Christ. The other side is the loving Christ. And, of course, I mean, in his life, according to the gospel, you know, we hear that Jesus did get angry. He wasn't all meekness and light the whole time. So, you know, he was a human being. So it's quite interesting the way you get this portrayed on one picture, though. You know, literally, this face is divided down the middle and it's two separate halves, which uh, just makes That's it amazing. quite interesting. Yeah. It's symbolic, you know, of the way Christ is, shall we say. So it's a reassurance, but also a warning that we do need to take responsibility. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because it goes back to the how we see things as in childhood and in as we learn as Christians in the early days of being a Christian, you, we do see everything. We do see Christ as the kind, loving Christ, and, and yeah. we forget the other side. Oh, which, yes. Absolutely. Yes. So this is, yes. that's, that's a really good image to have. Yes, it's a reminder. Yes, it's a reminder constantly there in front of you, if you like, because that's the thing with an icon, you know, that you have them around you all the time. Mm. So mm. Uh, um, for most people, religious art is in church. You don't, most people don't have that much religious art on their wall in the house whereas icons you do have mm, that's interesting yes i'd just like to say thank you janice because i really needed that wake-up call to take stock and think more about art and its place say in our prayer life um certainly i'm still on the meditation leading to but it's been really helpful and I think well I've certainly learned a lot so many thanks my pleasure all right yeah. I say there's lots of um, material out there nowadays to assist I mean as well as the book the art of worship I found another book by sister Wendy Beckett one of my absolute heroines ah. um the art of Lent a little book which I literally only opened this morning 
And as ever, it's a lovely little book, a painting a day with a, a thought with it. So there's plenty of material out there to help people if they want some inspiration. And instantly available to anybody who's got the internet and access to the diocesan website, the 40 words series very often uses a different picture to illustrate. And I found that really illuminating this Lent. Yes, same here. Well, thank you both very much for your views and feelings on art and prayer. And I think we have decided really that art is of great use in prayer if we have the time and the inclination to use it. And we all have different ways of using it and different things attract us and we get different things out of it. And it can be abstract or non-abstract, but all great art can move us prayerfully. Thank you very much for listening to us this morning. And I do hope you will listen to next week's podcast, which will be on sacred places and spaces. Thank you.